Amen. Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6 is where we are. And uh, I want to begin reading in uh, verses, uh, verse 8 and reading down through verse uh, 15 and then skipping over to uh, uh, Acts uh, chapter 7 and verse fi- uh, 51. We're dealing with, with Stephen here. The whole chapter of 7 would take the entire preaching time to read. It gives the history of, of, uh, of Israel and, and uh, the uh, patriarchs, some of them, and, and, uh, and he has a, a point he's trying to make here uh, to these men who are unbelievers. And so let's read God's word together, hearing God's word. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freemen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. They were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. And of course, Stephen speaks to them. But then it says at the end of his uh, message in verse 51, he says, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, And Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And may God bless our hearts this portion of his his holy word. Next week we're going to look at the stoning of Stephen uh, in particular. And some other things that uh, we want to see from this this portion of Scripture. But 
we see here a very important story in the, in the history of the church and also of God's plan in that history and how he used this man, Stephen. Why is this significant? First of all, it is the account of the first New Testament martyr who dies in Jesus' name after Pentecost. There have been many others, and there will probably be many more, but he was the first. It gives us an example of having a martyr spirit, a martyr spirit willing to give our lives for the gospel of Christ. A willing spirit, not a martyr's complex. Also, thirdly, it shows us no one is indispensable. There have been great people of God who have studied and prepared, step off a plane, and are killed by the natives. And we always ask, why, Lord? Well, uh, we're not indispensable. And God uses us and has a purpose for our lives but he can also do without us. He can do without me. Did you know that? I mean, he can actually survive without me being around. But I hope he continues to use me uh, as, as I pray is done. But we see here the beginning of the spreading of the gospel. In chapter 8, in Acts chapter 8, in verse 1, notice, At that time a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. It kind of reminds you in Acts 1.8, where they were told they would to go and uh, start in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then on to the other most parts of the world. And we see here uh, that beginning to happen. Also, uh, in verse 4, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. That's getting a little ahead here, but still... Uh, it's important to see that the word of God was spread through persecution. You know when the church grows? Persecution. So be careful how you pray. Lord, bring a revival. That's a dangerous prayer. It really is because you may be asking for persecution to bring a revival. And so, there are four things I want to see about Stephen this morning. First of all, his disposition. We see in verse 10 of chapter 6 now, if you're in 8, turn back to 6, and uh, we find Stephen means crown in Greek. Crown, like a wreath on your head, a crown. He was, of course, crowned with great gifts and graces. Really a blessed man of, of God. And uh, he was able to reason, we find out, in the synagogue that no one was able to refute him. Uh, no comebacks. He left them speechless. These, these are the ideas behind this. No arguments from them. Matter of fact, what did it do? You would think, oh, it would humble them. They would be broken over their sin. But what happened? They became very angry. And... Uh, and uh, came upon him. Uh, they were not humbled. And uh, we also find uh, what Jesus said in, in Luke chapter 21 about his disciples when they were in situations like this. 
to come, Jesus said. But before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison, and you will be brought before kings and governors and, and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. That's exactly what Stephen did. So we see a fulfillment of those words. We also see, secondly, his appearance. His appearance in verse 15. It says that his face was like to have an angel. That's interesting because I've never, as far as I know, have ever seen the, the face of an angel. But it says, Luke says, like that of an angel. I've, I, a glow, probably not a halo, you know. It was like the, the face of Moses. It probably just was illuminated. It was probably shining. Uh, some have said, well, it was just his, his radiance. He was happy even though this was going on. I, I, I think, though, it was probably like the, the face of Moses. But anyway, again, in spite of all the light that they saw, even, I believe, a shining face of Stephen, they said, oh, thank you. We've been waiting for this, and now we repent, and uh, we're going to turn to Christ. No. They picked up stones to stone him. And what does Stephen say in verse 51 that we read? said, you always resist the Holy Spirit just like your fathers. You will, you will not to let him in. Your will is not to let him in. That's what they wanted. Their minds were made up. Their minds were made up. They had the heart of a natural man. The natural man cannot see or understand until the Holy Spirit regenerates him. And so this is the way they were. And he says, you always resist the Holy Spirit. We see, thirdly, his attitude was like that of Jesus. Did you, did you pick that up when, you, when we read this, that this was like Jesus on the cross? Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And... In uh, a forgiving heart. Wow, just think of having a forgiving heart at, at a time like this. Where your heart was going out to those that were going to kill you. Because you wanted to see them saved. You wanted to see them come to know the Lord as he knew it. Wow. That takes the power of the Holy Spirit in your life to do that. To love people who are unlovely. To love those who, who hate you. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And Stephen here does the same thing. Then we see secondly Stephen's accusers in verses 9 through 14. Uh, they spoke ill of him. They were Hellenistic Jews. We, we see probably uh, Roman citizens. Uh, they were uh, very, very zealous of what they believed, and they were from the synagogue of the freedmen. That is, uh, Jews that had been probably made Roman citizens. They were no longer slaves. 
but they were from different brands of synagogues. They were synagogues and then there were synagogues, just like denominations today. You had synagogues, but none of them were, were exactly the same. But uh, this was a very zealous synagogue. Pro- probably Paul was from this group. I believe he probably was. Uh, but anyway, they were out to get rid of Stephen. And so in verse 13 of chapter 6, they started a smear campaign. Uh, just like there's a smear campaign, as I talked about last week, against uh, those in authority. There are those that hate uh, to that extent that they would tell lies and be false witnesses against someone like this. Their approach was not humility. They were not seeking the truth. Their minds were made up. This trial was a total sham, just like with Jesus. Total sham. You know, they couldn't learn anything. Why couldn't they learn anything? They knew it all. <laughs> do, we do, do we do that as Christians? You better believe we do. Have you ever talked to a know-it-all? Uh, and we've probably all been guilty of that, not having hearts that, that are seeking truth. Our minds are already made up. As Clint Eastwood said, we become legends in our own mind. Besides that, under Roman rule, they couldn't even stone Stephen. But they did. This is how far their hatred went. In verse 11, they accused him of even blasphemy against Moses and God. Moses being God's representative. And was this true? Absolutely not. He had not done that, uh, and, uh, but they accused him of doing it. And yet it was true in one sense, what they were saying, because ironically, the temple would be destroyed. You see, their, their, their love for the temple was huge. We, we don't, well, we can see that a little bit in some of these great big cathedrals that have been built and People go in there and just worship the temple. Well, that's what they did. They were temple worshipers. And uh, this is what Stephen is going to tell them that's wrong. Uh, The temple uh, would be destroyed and the ceremonial law would be done away with. Matter of fact, Jesus spoke against the traditions uh, that were added to the law, to the Pharisees. And uh, he even talked about the temple being destroyed, which happened in 70 A.D. In Matthew 24, 2, he says, Do you see all these things? And they've been talking about the temple. He asked, Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. So the temple would be destroyed, but he was not speaking against the temple. And, uh, but judgment would come. So what is, he, what is uh, Stephen saying here, I believe, with this idea of the temple? As we, as we find in the reading in chapter 7, 
I think Stephen was saying the true temple has come. There is one who is tabernacled among us. Who is that? Jesus. See, he was pointing them to Christ. And what did Jesus say? Destroy this temple about himself, and I will raise it up. I will be raised up for your justification, the forgiveness of sins. The temple in Jerusalem and the tabernacle was a type of the real thing coming. And of course, that's what Jesus did, is he fulfilled all the types, all the pictures. And so now today, we're living in an age of fulfillment. We don't need the temple anymore. Why? We are the temple. First Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies, your temple. Wow. That's huge, isn't it? And so, they just worshiped the temple in all of its beauty. And it was beautiful. But now Stephen's coming and telling them, nope, that's gone. That's gone. There's no need now for a literal temple. And, of course, we looked at last week this verse. As Paul said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. I love that. The old is gone. The new is here. No more temple. It's gone. We're now the temple of God. Wow. Do Do you ever let that really sink in? What a privilege that is to have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Let that sink in. And then be ashamed of the sin in your life that needs to be repented of. You're defiling the temple when you sin. And the temple of God is holy. Which temple you are. And so I think he's saying here, wow, you're going to have to understand this middle wall between the Jew and the Gentile. And of course, we, we, as more and more revelation is given through Paul and so forth, the one greater than Moses and the temple has come. The one Moses spoke about has come. Hebrews 3, 1 through 3. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who shared the heavenly calling, Fix your thoughts or your eyes on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. There's there's a greater one that's here now. The temple's gone. There's a greater one who's come. And he has tabernacled among us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Whoa. Wow. 
this is what Stephen, I think, is starting uh, to, to really understand and trying to get this message across. So what they were doing was Christ has come, but they want to keep the old. They want to keep... As somebody said, they, it's like a pecan. You crack a pecan and you eat the shell and throw away the nut. That's what they were doing, basically. They were keeping and holding on to something that was empty. And yet they had thrown away the fruit. They had thrown away the nut. When they should have rejoiced to hear these things. But they were angry. And they still wanted the old. You know, we can, we can do that too. Sometimes it makes us angry when we forget that we're saved by God's grace through faith in Him alone. There's no merit of ourselves, but we think, you know what? What I did today really, really merited something. And we want to go back to the old and cling to our self-righteousness and the good that we think that, that is in us. And we have to say, no. There's nothing good in my flesh. There, there, the, Christ is all I need. I need to fix my eyes on Christ as we saw. He is my focus now. He is the one that I think about all during the day and the one that I worship. He is in me. Wow. And then we see, thirdly, Stephen's defense. And that's in verses 1 through 53 that we didn't read. And I want you to read that this week because we'll be looking at some other things. But you might ask, Stephen, why go through the history of Israel? You think when you read all that, you go, these guys know this stuff. What do you, you know, why are you just talking about the history of Israel? They knew it. I think, for one thing, Stephen was showing that he really did know the scriptures and that he really did respect Moses. But it's interesting, Stephen mentions these four periods or four sections uh, in the history. Abraham, Joseph, Moses, David, and Solomon. And so what is his argument? What is Stephen wanting to tell them? And I think it is, as I've already said, they had a problem with temple worship. They had a problem with the old. In other words, if the temple was destroyed, basically God would no longer exist. He would be gone because we don't have the temple, therefore God's not with us anymore. And he was trying to show this to them. Somebody illustrated it this way, and I really like this. Because all of these things in the Old Testament were pictures of what was to come. Jesus who was to come. It's, it'd be like a man going off to war and he gives his wife a picture, or girlfriend, gives a picture uh, to her and it's a good picture. It's a beautiful picture. It's in a nice frame. And it's the best picture of him you could ever want to dream up or think about. And, 
And so the whole time he is gone, she's just hugging the picture. She's looking at the picture. She's admiring the picture. And guess what? He comes home. He comes, and what do they do? They still love the picture. I mean, can you imagine running out and seeing him and going, oh, I love your picture, and throwing the husband away? That's what they did. They kept the picture and discarded the one who truly loves them. And you might think, well, that's really would be strange, and yet that's what he's telling them they did. You're clinging to the physical. You're clinging to the picture, the earthly temple. The true temple has come, full of grace and truth. Christ has come, full of grace and truth, tabernacled among us. You know, God was never restricted to any one place. He's going to tell them this. God is everywhere. The temple was really never meant to be permanent. And Stephen develops this argument. And just to, not to read it, but to, to highlight the, some of the things in chapter 7, verses 2 through 8, we find that God revealed himself to Abraham. In a temple, right? No. In the Ur of the Chaldees, as an idolater in Mesopotamia. In verses 9 through 16, Joseph was in Egypt, and God used him as he went daily to the temple. No, there was no temple. God met with him, though. God was with Joseph, and we find that in verse 9. In verses 17 through 43, Moses. Uh, no temple. What do we find when God appeared to Moses? What did he say? Take off your sandals for where you're standing is what? Not the temple. And so what is, that's in verse 33. So what is Stephen doing? God is not limited to a temple. You'd think that would make you happy, wouldn't you? You go, hallelujah, I don't have to go to the temple anymore. Nope. I love the picture. I just love the picture. This does apply to us, as we'll see in a minute. The tabernacle moved from place to place. Notice in verse 49, he quotes from Isaiah 66, and uh, <clears throat> he says, Heaven is, the, is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What house will you, be, will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? What in the temple? What did Solomon say, First Kings? But God really, but will God really dwell on earth? 1 Kings 8, 27. The heavens, even the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. 
When he built the temple, he said, this is not the only place you find God. God is everywhere. If you go to the deepest part of the earth, to the highest heavens, there's, there's God. The temple, but oh, we've got to have the temple. We've got to have the te temple. But you know what? That's the external. That's the physical. And we have to be careful of the same thing, do we not? That we don't worship traditions, that we don't worship things. And what does St Stephen say to them? You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart. See, that was their problem. They'd been circumcised in the flesh physically, but they had not had their heart circumcised spiritually. The Bible says, unless you're born again, you shall not see the kingdom of God. Why? Because you're blind. You can't see it. All of this light, even his face shining, and they couldn't see it. They were blind. And that's why we need to pray, God, open the hearts of those who cannot see so that they may see. And they stoned him. They killed him. Just three quick applications. Have I said that before quick? No. First application. What did Stephen get for being godly? Oh, treasures. You know, they just lavished upon him all this stuff. and Wow. Yeah, bigger cars. And, no. What did they get? What did he get for being godly? Hated. Persecuted. Stoned to death. That's pretty significant. Somebody said, the more like Christ you are, the more hated you will be by the world. You want to live godly in Christ Jesus? Watch out. You better duck. Secondly, spirit-filled preaching is not to be measured by outward success. Did you notice there were no conversions mentioned here? The word was sent out. And yet, no heart, as we know, is not recorded. Hearts were changed. Isaiah 55, 11 says, So is my word that goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You know when the word of God goes out, it's a two-edged sword. It drives some to Christ, but it drives others away because it's two-edged. The gospel will either harden or soften the heart. And you know what happens when you reject the gospel? I think I said this last week. Your heart gets harder. And you reject it more, it gets harder. As Pharaoh, he rejected, and it got harder and harder and harder. Don't reject the gospel. The same sun that melts ice hardens clay. And let God take care of the results. What does God want you to do? Be faithful. Not necessarily successful. There are those that have, been, that have preached and never seen a convert. 
but we can't say they weren't successful. Only God knows that. Be faithful. Also, thirdly and lastly, beware of embracing symbolism over substance and rituals over reality. How many of you ladies like to get diamonds, jewels, nice, come on ladies, I mean, <laughs> and I was going to send you all some, but now since you didn't raise your hand, <laughs> you know, God sent us a precious jewel, and his name is Jesus. like kids at Christmas time they tear open the box there's a toy in there and they play with the box keep the diamond throw away the box keep Jesus throw anything away that keeps you from hugging the real thing It doesn't matter if this church is filled with, with metal chairs that don't match. I saw that in Kenya. I've never seen so many different folding chairs in all my life in one place. And they were all different. And yet those people worshiping God like I've never. Oh, by the way, it wasn't air conditioned. It was hot. And they were praising and worshiping, getting on their hands and knees before God and thanking God for bringing them out of out a demon possession and I mean it was just it, you just wouldn't believe it unless you were there that's all I can tell you but you know what they didn't they threw away the box and kept the jewel but oh the box I love the box is that done in the church today you better believe it is because a service can be a ritual Something to take part in. Something to go through. Go through the motions. Oh, it was a beautiful service. People say, and, and that's, I can understand what they're, where they're coming from, and that's good. But why is it beautiful? Why is it beautiful service? It's beautiful if you saw Jesus. It's beautiful if you worshiped him. It's beautiful if you leave the service praising and adoring Him, thanking Him. That's beautiful. Do you say it's beautiful because God spoke to me and I spoke to God? That I worship the person of Christ? Christ is, was exalted. I repented of a sin that I've been holding on to. I was humbled. As I saw afresh, my identity is Christ. My identity is Christ. Your identity is this morning is Christ. Your identity is not what somebody else thinks about you or the nice clothes you wear or how much money you have. Your identity is Christ. Because you see, in Christ, you've been made perfect forever. You're perfect. Read Hebrews 9 or 10. 
You've been made perfect forever. Wow. If you can't praise God for being made perfect forever in the blood of the Lamb that cleanses you from all your sin, you've got a real problem. We need to thank Him and leave him here adoring Him. In John 4, 24, let me say, don't worship the external. Don't worship the physical. 420, John 4, 23 and 24. Yet a time is coming and has now, has now come. This is Jesus and the Samaritan woman. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Remember what Jesus said in Revelation 3.20, here I, here I am. This is the lady you see in church, and, and the, uh, uh, he's outside the door. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Wow. What a privilege we have. You know, he's knocking. He's not found in some churches at all. Isn't that sad? You can go to some churches and never hear the name of Jesus mentioned. But it's all about him. It's all about him. We're here this morning by his grace and mercy because he saved us. We're born from above. By his grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Let's pray. Father, again, I thank you for your word. How powerful it is, Lord, in our, in our lives, and it, it cuts us asunder. Lord, help us to, to see our sin. But also, every look we look at our sin, we'd take ten looks at Jesus. Because it's in him we have forgiveness of our sins. Help us to confess our sins, O oh Lord. Cast all our cares upon you. Lord, you love us. And Lord, we, because you first loved us, we love you. Minister to each heart this morning, Lord. Touch my heart. May our love for Jesus grow more and more every day. That we would be like Stephen, forgiving those who hurt us, loving those who do us wrongly. We need you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.